Punks, I am excited to be hosting this episode. My name is Alyssa Parker and it's my first time, but I am excited to be with all my fellow Dunkers and what an episode to start with. This episode is a continuation of interviews on leadership in the church led by Annalisa Gross of the Women's Caucus. I have been moved by the last episode by Annalisa as she met with women and church leadership. As a woman who is a leader in the church, and who is also half black, I resonate with so much of the emotions of those interviewed in these episodes. I am currently working in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania at Harrisburg First Church of the Brethren as the operations manager of their service ministry, BC and Peace. I went straight from serving with Brethren Volunteer Service to being a leader in the church, but not without the help and mentorship of faithful women supporting me. Being molded by strong female leaders like Gimbia Kettering, Marie Benner Rhodes and Belita Mitchell has made me the leader I am today. After my year in BVS, I was more confident in my spiritual gifts and ready to accept my call into leadership. I have been supported and nurtured by my family in Christ and grown into the position laid out for me. The past few months have been a struggle as I begin to understand what it is really like to be a woman in the workplace and a woman of faith, and I am still on a journey to figure out when that moment was when I realized I was a leader. Even now, introducing such leaders of the church like Ben Bear, a BVS legend, as I was told in orientation, and amazing women Carla Gillespie and Katie Shell Thompson, who exude the strength and leadership of the many women in the church who are making a difference and have personally shown me the possibilities for me in the church. So allow me to introduce these leaders as they share their stories. My name is Ben Bear, and I am a member at Nokesville Church of the Brethren in Virginia, part of the Mid-Atlantic District. I cognitively was aware that I was a leader in the church when I was doing BVS recruitment in 2014 and 15. And so I was 
still technically a volunteer with Brother and Volunteer Service, but I was part of the denominational staff. I had a corporate credit card. Whoa, it was pretty baller. And I would go around to speak with youth gatherings, um, conferences, pastors that would allocate me some time so that I could talk about Brother and Volunteer Service and how it might play into, or how it had played into, in different people's lives, whether they were an alum and they had a story that they felt was they were compelled to share and how it had helped to form their faith journey and direct their life's direction, <laughs> but also to encourage people to think about whether they might know someone that belonged in Brother and Volunteer Service that would benefit from it, that perhaps maybe it was something that they should consider and to kind of hash out some of the logistics of what that would look like. To So it wasn't just this pipe dream and a nice idea, but a reality that someone might pursue. And at some point in that journey, in that year and a half that I was doing that, I recognized that I was, even though I was still a volunteer, I had a very meager paycheck and rather simple living accommodations as far as, I don't think we had a TV <laughs> that worked. If we did, it wasn't connected to any sort of satellite television or anything like that. It was that kind of a simple lifestyle, but yet I was representative of the denominational staff. And it was such an odd realization that that was me. And it wasn't that I am simply representative of BVS. I don't know if I necessarily felt like a leader, but I think I recognized that people saw me as one. So I guess it's a little bit of a double-edged blade that it's not necessarily that um, that I was just magically aware that I knew I was a leader, but um, it has sort of morphed into that over the years. And, I, and some of it, I think, is simply from the connectivity of realizing that folks turn to me when they want to know who to connect to for X, Y, Z, whatever. Uh, so I think about when I was at annual conference in person a year ago, a few months later, somebody from my table when we were working on the compelling vision process, had an idea and they posted in the Church of the Brethren Facebook group. And it was the first time that I think they'd ever really been active in that group, um, just by coincidence. And the idea that they had, they had the energy and the idea and it seemed well formed enough, but they weren't necessarily sure where to go with it. And so um, to know who they need to contact and who and what what needs to happen in order for it to have a chance to move forward. I was like, oh yeah, I guess that's me. That's something I do. Cool. You've described at least two different styles of leadership or functions of leadership. One that you kind of realized had been given to you and another that you feel like you're actively using. It's interesting that 
you asked if I, when I first felt like I was a leader in the church and my mind immediately went to the denominational church as opposed to the local church, which I sometimes forget that my perception of church is not the same as what it is for many others, that I have deeper connection to the denominational identity that goes with it from having seen so many variations of it and lived out so many different variations of it um, from church summer camps to working for denominational staff, doing brother and volunteer service, just being aware of the breadth of ministries that go into it and knowing how, how wide the, uh, the spectrum of how folks identify as brethren uh, might be, depending on where you are. Uh, whereas I think if I were to ask many of the folks at Nooksville at my home congregation that when they knew that they were a leader in the church, they would think of being in Nooksville, which, um, which is an interesting re- realization of what I consider my church, I suppose, that I see my church as being a much larger population than what perhaps some might. Yes, that is very interesting. That is very interesting. And does it make you feel, well, I guess that goes in, goes hand in hand with one of the forms of leadership that you do share or embody being a connector, being someone who knows things or knows how to find things out and help people connect to each other. And it makes me think of like an ambassador role. Do you feel like an ambassador? Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, uh, so like if I know of anyone that is going through a, a time of ambiguity that is getting ready to graduate high school or is getting ready to graduate college or is having a career path change um, that I'm very quick to suggest, Hey, have you thought about brother and volunteer service? Have you thought about um, seminary? Like you don't have to be a pastor. If you go to seminary, there are other things you can do with a seminary degree to ask them what if they've thought about pursuing something that is outside of where they've had their formal education, that they might be an excellent social worker, despite having never studied social work, but they've been a pediatric nurse for however many years, and they certainly know how to work with people. Um, they have that bedside manner that makes them approachable, and they know how to pull information out of people, even when people don't necessarily want to. Um, And to challenge people to veer off course a little bit, because those are the people that I think really feel like they live out their, their faith and make it more of uh, an exciting journey. Not that, well, I don't like, I don't like stating that needs to be exciting because you go do different things. I think you can have it be exciting staying in one being the steadfast one that is the rock for others. But um, but sometimes I think it's good just to think of how else you might be that person that uh, 
you hear of other people doing XYZ, whatever that is incredible. And I think culturally, we have started to shift more toward, cool, I will donate to that cause so that someone else can do the thing. Instead of saying, I'll do the thing. Having our day job often is our reason not to do things that matter. BVS used to have a think tank group that they would meet with, I think, once a year or so. Um, I don't know if they have continued that, but essentially it was pulling in some outside voices that aren't denominational staff to help give them some guidance and direction for the program to think through, is this still working? How are things functioning? And give them some accountability as well. Um, And there was someone on that think tank, um, an ardent supporter of BVS, has spoken very highly of it as a program for many years. Um, And they had a family member that was getting ready to graduate from high school. And I asked if maybe that person, that family member might consider going into brethren volunteer service. And they said, Oh no, that they have this, they have an offer to go to, and I won't name the the college, but it was a a well-to-do college. Um, And it was as if they were too good for BVS, that BVS was the catch-all as opposed to the, uh, as opposed to where you would want to send people that you thought were representative of your denomination of the Church of the Brethren. Um, And you aren't going to find a Ted Studebaker as likely in and the folks who are kind of stumbling around trying to figure out life as opposed to the people who have great capacity for amazing things um, and could really be impactful as a volunteer or in whatever they do. Um, and and I think that's a real disservice to Brother Volunteer Service, and that's something that has been... Uh, that's a trend that I think has been happening within not only our denomination, but others as well, that there is, uh, there's a lot of value on education and on being financially capable to support the church and its ministries, but not necessarily be the church and the ministries. I expect it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And by worse, I include with that, that we will no longer have a denomination or denominational staff, at least. Yeah, I am looking forward to the crumble, um, (laughs) which it it sounds, if, if you, if you're just entering the conversation and you hear a statement like that, it can sound appalling, but there, there is a rut of some sort that, um, that we're just kind of stuck in. And I think in the next 10 years or so, we're going to have uh, enough of a chunk of our denominational staff that are retiring. And like you said, it's not super appealing to a lot of folks to want to go and live in the far Western suburbs of Chicago. <laughs> right. um, and and uh, yeah, uh, 
it'll be interesting to see what happens with the church at that point. And I'm, I'm excited to see how it reimagines itself. My name is Carla Gillespie, and I'm from Dayton, Ohio. And my congregation is the West Charleston Church of the Brethren in Tip City, Ohio. I came to the church um, during a time, it was 2003. I was attending another church. Um, it was back then, it was Episcopalian. But they had had a charismatic awakening, so it was the charismatic Episcopalian, which is a very interesting thing. If you ever have a chance to do that, I suggest it. It's very fun. Um, but in their denomination, and I just came in on it, so I didn't have all the background or anything, but they were in the midst of, they had a homosexual bishop, I think bishop is what it was, and all kinds of stuff was going on, and some of them, some of the church parishes were um, just in love with the person. The, you know, they just thought he was doing a good job, and the other ones were like, "Oh no!" Da, 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 da. So they started to break apart, and I was just enjoying church, and I, you know, that was all background. And I wasn't going to their meetings of that type and stuff, denominational meetings. I was just going there for Jesus, you know, and whatever. And so when it started to get real serious and they were trying to make a move, they started pulling people into camps. And it was just a very tumultuous time. And so I got caught in the middle of that. And they're like, all right, you're going to have to select to be in our denomination. And it's some kind of ceremony. And this time it was going to be a secret ceremony because they were splitting and whatever. And I'm like, well, what are you, what is all this got to, and they're like, so does that mean you're not with us? I was like, who is us? I thought we were with Jesus. Who are you? What are you talking about? So, and so the minister, the head minister had a talk with me because actually I was on staff. I worked in their bookstore. And he's like, well, I've had people softly talk to you over time and you haven't given us the answers we're looking for. So we're going to have to ask you to go find somewhere else to go to church. I said, what? What do you mean? They're like, we're going to escort you out, take your keys because we have serious things going on and we have lawyers and we can't afford to have anybody that's not a hundred percent on our side. And so they actually, I had to leave my job. I lost my church all in one day. And I just was devastated by that. They say, it's not personal. We still like you, but that's it. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, wow. And so uh, that day my daughter had a doctor's appointment. And so and my daughter's pediatrician in the city of Kent, can you guess? Verdina Lee. 
And so I Wonderful. went. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I, I didn't know her except that she was a doctor at that time. And uh, she was a friend, but we're not very, you know, not very close, just as much as you could be. And I went in there and I told her the whole story. And she said, oh, no, that's so, oh, no. She said, well, I don't want you to be angry with God and angry with the church. So this is what I want you to do. Just come to the church that I go to, the Kent Church of the Brethren. And it's very small. And no one will pressure you or bother you or anything. You can sit in the back and just enjoy the service and get your healing. And I'll tell them that to leave you be until you're ready to associate. And so that's what I did. And that was the first introduction that I had to the Church of the Brethren. That's exactly what happened. Nobody did anything but say hello and and move on, no probing questions, nothing, until I was ready. They also were in a very sad situation where their church had uh, broken apart. 10, 12 people in there in a pretty good-sized church at that time. And so I didn't know anything about what was happening to them, and they didn't know anything was happening to me for the first month or two. As things progressed, I learned that pastor that they had um, had a breaking with them, with them, and he took most of the church people with him and left this remnant, a remnant without a pastor. And they really didn't have enough people there to even pull off a, a search because nobody knew how to do that. We had everybody was there was in the choir, you know, or on the nurture, you know, there weren't those other kinds of leaders were went with him. So they were kind of just in a holding pattern. And so what I was going to say was leadership isn't always who you think you are or what you develop yourself to be. It's what you're willing to do in a moment of need. So one of the needs that they had and I was a grown person at this point. So I was in college at Kent State. My daughter is eight years old. And I returned to college in my 30s. So I had some life experience, other college or whatever. So one of the things that they needed was a treasurer for the church. Somebody to take care of all of the bills and taxes and get all their things together. When there's a opening or a need, that's when a leader either says yes or no. So I think leadership is more about your willingness to step into a gap rather than who you think you are or your ego or something else. And I hadn't been, I had been a bank teller, so I hadn't been anybody's particular treasurer, but that was a, there were enough transfer skills there for me to, to handle what was going on there. So it's not really when I knew I was a leader, it's when leadership was needed and I decided that I would say yes to stepping up. I really appreciate how you describe that because often we do think of a leader as like a pioneer, a trailblazer, somebody who sets the course and goes first. And that is one kind of leadership, but that can have a lot to do with ego 
and somebody who wants it to go a certain way. And so they want to be in charge of it. And you're describing a kind of leadership that is a servant leadership where somebody says, I recognize that something is needed and I will try to fit myself to respond to these needs rather than I'll be in charge of the situation to fit how I want to be perceived. Mm -hmm. And so there's more vulnerability and more just willingness to be you to be put to good use by God and by the church in the scenario that you're describing. Yeah. And it's more, it's more risk to it. Yeah. And then it's more unsettling because I was relatively new to the congregation and what is a church of the brethren? You know, I didn't know what all that was, but I was willing to step in anyway because of their need. But it also was a enormous amount of time to to sacrifice because I was in graduate school. There are other things about leading that are sometimes more important rather than what I've done, what my name is, what's on my resume, what what I'm bringing to the table, what my agenda is. It's all that other. That's just nowhere, <laughs> nowhere on my list. <laughs> so how long were you with that congregation? So um, I was at the congregation um, probably, it was nearly two years, um, but they really started to have difficulty because people were trying to find their power and establish and reestablish. And there were so many things that were still needed that there weren't people to cover it just wasn't very healthy and they didn't they couldn't decide on which direction to go cuz some people were still really hurt and so whatever they felt they were unwilling to assert what they believed and so they were kind of wishy-washy and so decisions weren't getting made it's interesting to hear you describe the Episcopalian church that you were part of and then this little church of the brethren because they were both groups living with some of the same external pressures but responding in very different ways very different ways no doubt about it yes that was a cathedral sized church with big bank accounts and all kinds of stuff they wanted to protect the similarity now that you bring it up, was the same. They both didn't want to lose their building. Mm. And so they did what they were doing to to try to break away and keep their building. And neither one of them got to do it. What, if anything, should we work to protect? My answer is not political. But I think it's the truth that we need to protect our collective soul. It just happens to be something I've been thinking about because of politics, but that's not a political answer. We, What we are at our core, things that have been decided, history, how things began over time and how those things have maintained themselves So we have a core belief, a core standing that 
all of the people that came before us have believed in. Because the things that we haven't kept or maintained have fallen away. And it feels like the soul of our denomination or the soul of our church, and that's little C or big C, we have to keep it because all the external things are chipping parts of it off. Parts that are chipping off have to do, I don't think they're uh, malicious. They're people. I had a conversation with some people that were their children and grandchildren sometimes were uh, gay or lesbian, but they had grown up in the in the building, in the church. They had always come, but then they had this new reality. And they're like, well, why are they doing this? I was here from the cradle. I was sitting in my mom's lap in the choir stand. I was dedicated right here. And now all of a sudden, you don't want me. That's chipping from the outside. And instead of people saying, wait a minute, these are our people. We have to figure out how we're going to continue to embrace them because they're not coming from somewhere else. They were already here. And so that has to do with what's in here. What did we make? What does all of this say? How does all of this define the new circumstances that we find ourselves in and not succumb to all kinds of other pressure because these are it would be different if in some way I'm not saying it would be right but it would be different if there was a a group of people that were coming in on the brethren these are not other people these are the same people and so I don't think the conversations are being framed in the way that they should be framed based on who we are. I think that there are people who have convinced themselves that these gay and lesbian people are a new phenomenon, but it's not true. And they've they've been keeping it hidden because they knew it was a taboo. Yeah. And, And it's like, I don't know how, if you were that young man or young woman's Sunday school teacher, all the way through junior high and high school. Yeah. You can now turn around and say what you're saying, because this is not a stranger to you. That's not how the brethren are. That means that that was your Sunday school teacher. That was your women's group leader. That was the, your camp counselor. Those children, we're all intertwined. So these are not people that are like, oh, that's that family. No, no. You were in it. You were leading. They played the guitar for you. And so now all of a sudden you you see them differently. Why? Mm-hmm. How? How can you do it? Something is wrong in the way that discussion occurred that just caused a lot of breaking and hurting, which is very, very sad.
This is Katie Shaw Thompson, and I'm the pastor of the Highland Avenue Church of the Brethren. Welcome, Katie. When did you know that you are a leader in the church? I think I was lucky enough to be a young woman in in a little rural United Methodist church uh, where they did encourage the leadership of youth, or at least I was encouraged. I remember that I sang in the choir with my great aunt Flo from a young age. Uh, I remember being encouraged to um, to lead youth activities when there was no leader, and I did that for a summer. I remember being encouraged to take part in some of the plays and the dramas that we did and even take lead roles in that little United Methodist Church where I was related to uh, nearly everyone, <laughs> and it mm. did feel really warm and cozy in some of those ways and uh, challenging in others because we all had lots of different ideas about God and the world, and sometimes that was hard. I remember being encouraged from a really young age. I also had uh, an aunt and an uncle who were ministers in the United Methodist Church, a married couple, it was important, I think, from a young age for me to see. I never got to see her preach. I think that would have had a stronger impact on me. Uh, but I, I did know from an early age that it didn't matter that I was a woman. So I never put much stock in anyone who tried to tell me otherwise, which I think was good, even if it's uh, continually annoying. <laughs> I, I never, I never do believe it. When someone tells me I, I can't be a leader in uh, any church that I'm serving. Well, I think I've just been blessed all along the way um, in my journey with the Church of the Brethren to find uh, that women have gone before me in church leadership, uh, whether that's my mentor, Christy Dowdy, or uh, my preaching professor, Donna Tony Wilhelm, or uh, the president of the seminary when I was there with Anne Connickle Johansson. I, I have been fortunate to follow uh, in women's footsteps, even though I have been in both the churches I serve now, the first woman to be the solo pastor of those churches, even if they had ministers who were women before me. And that's been its own kind of trailblazing. But all along the way, I have followed women, even there, who opened doors. I have benefited from their leadership. It's always amazing to see diverse leaders in the church share such passion and love for the work they do, especially women. One of the things I love most about the Dunker Punks podcast is the space it creates for young leaders in faith and voices that may not always be heard. It's a space of grace. I leave with you the question of the moment. When did you realize you were a leader? And then taking it a step further to ask, what can you do to empower other leaders in the church, especially those on the margins. What can we do as a church to better be the body of Christ in all its full glory? If you'll take a moment to just really sit with all that we've heard.
thank you so much for joining us. The Dunker Punks podcast is a safe space for young radicals and a safe space for women like me. Thank you to Annalisa for your contribution and Ben Bear, Carla Gillespie, and Katie Shell Thompson for the impactful interviews. We also want to thank Jacob Krauss for editing the show and I, Alyssa Parker, using she, her, hers pronouns, am happy to have been your host. Jacob Krauss creates our music. Ali Cooney manages communication. Suzanne Lay manages production. Arlington Church of the Brethren and On Earth Peace sponsor the show. You can listen to us on iTunes and arlingtoncob.org slash DPP, as well as subscribe and comment. Check out our social media at Dunker Punks Pod and give us a follow, share, comment, or like. You can also send us an email at DPP at arlingtoncob.org. Thank you again for listening and peace be with you.